Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. When making your travel plans, remember johnnydollarair.com. johnnydollarair.com is a Priceline affiliate link. So part of the purchase price supports the great detectives of old time radio at no additional cost to you. So remember, when making your travel plans, check johnnydollarair.com first. Now it's time to conclude this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial. So from June 20th, 21st, and 22nd, 1956, here is The Pearling Matter, Episodes 3, 4, and 5. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Your number's ringing now, Mr. Dollar. Oh, swell. Aimwell Agency. Aimwell Detectives? Yes. Who are you calling, please? Want to talk to Mr. Aimwell. My name's Johnny Dollar. This is Aimwell. I understand your agency's been looking for the Perling girl for about a year now. Oh, you do, huh? And who told you that? Mrs. Perling. I never heard of you, or her, or a girl. So long. Hmm. This is the operator. Were you cut off, Mr. Dollar? I'll call them back. Never mind. Call me a cab, honey. I'll talk to them in person. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Eastern Liability and Trust Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Perling matter. Item 7, $3, cab fare, my hotel to the office of the Aimwell Agency. A red-headed girl at the switchboard looked me over like I was a car she didn't want to buy. I told her my name and that I wanted to see Niles Aimwell. She told me to sit down and wait. Three minutes later, she waved me down a long, carpeted corridor. I followed directions. A typewriter clacked somewhere. Men in those suits with the little shoulders and hem-stitching for lapels moved in and out of offices. It looked more like an advertising office than a detective agency. Finally, I opened a door and stepped into a small room that was decorated in gray. Gray walls, gray carpeting, gray draperies. A desk, a brass lamp, a filing cabinet, and a man were there. He didn't get up when I walked in, but slouched back in his chair and let his bald head rest against the wall. You're kind of determined, aren't you? I suppose so. You're Aimwell? Mm-hmm. On the phone, I told you I didn't know what you were talking about. Now I'll tell you again. Don't slam the door when you go out. What are you paying rent here? <laughs> if I've got it figured right, you wish you weren't paying it. But then a place like this draws a snappier crowd of clients, so uh, what you've got in the end is more clients and more rent, no more money for yourself. Now that you've said all that, 
Will you get out of here? I know one of those snappy clients happens to be the Perlings. I know you've been trying to find their daughter. This is my ID. This is my license, bond. Letter of authority from Eastern Liability. Now, two days ago, the papers carried a story that David Perling was killed in a boating accident in Key West. That was a letter baloney. It was retracted. I know that, but I talked to a reporter down in Key West who told me Perling paid to have that story about himself printed. My client had an idea Perling might have done it to set up the stock market for a killing. Mrs. Perling told me he did it in the hope his missing daughter would see the story in the papers and contact home. Now, what have you got to say? Here's your stuff. One other thing. Perling the kind of man who'd pull a trick like that? Ask him. You got a way about you I don't like. Well, that's too bad. But in between the time I called and the time I got here, you had time to call the Perlings on the phone and ask about me. They said it was all right to tell me what I wanted to know. If there was a daughter, if you'd been hired to look for her, if you don't tell me, you might jeopardize the part of the rent the Perlings pay for you. Now, look, darling. I've got something else you aren't going to like. I might just want to see your operative's report on the case. I might have the idea that if you've been looking for her this long, you might just be dragging it out a little bit. You know, the rent money, it's due every month. Get Mr. or Mrs. Perling on the phone right away. I hope they tell me to throw you out on your ear. (laughs) Well, while we're waiting, let's get back to the questions. Where have you looked? What have you done? We pulled a case 11 months ago, almost to the day. The girl's 5'5", 114 pounds, no visible scars, no glasses. Black hair, brown eyes. She's 24, will be 25 next month. We thought we had her located in Muncie, Toledo, Detroit, Fort Worth, and Pueblo. We think she's traveling alone. We think she's a little girl who was fed up to here with Mama and Daddy and just struck out for herself. But you haven't found her. Five men have been looking on eight-hour shifts, seven days a week for 11 months to the day. Five men, 11 months, seven days a week, and I'm one of the five. My feet hurt, my head aches most of the time. My wife's thinking about divorcing me. And then you walk in here and plant yourself in my office. You're suggesting maybe I can go out and find her just like that. Well, I can't. Nobody can. So I want you to know I kind of resent that remark about how I'm laying down on the job. And if you don't take it back, I'll have to cave in the side of the wall with you. What do you got to say, Dollar? <laughs> I take it back, Mr. Ringwell. Sit down and have yourself a smoke. Hello? Well, hello, Mrs. Perling. Mr. Dollar's in my office now. Yes, yes, I'll cooperate with him. Yes, Mrs. Perling, I understand. He explained it all to me. Yes, ma'am. The whole file, everything... How would you like somebody to bring up a bottle of cold beer? Oh, I'd like that fine, Mr. Amwell. Niles Amwell, in between complaining about the abundance of bad private operatives in the detective business, showed me how good he was. The Jeannie Perling file was a comprehensive day-to-day report on the investigation. His discouragement in the case was understandable. The only thing that meant something was the picture of Jeannie Perling. Cold black hair over a fresh white-skinned face... Dark eyes, a nice smile. Somehow, not my idea of the daughter that would belong to David Perling. Too old, too young, or too something. I couldn't put my finger on it. If I had been able to, I could have ended this expense account right here. As it was, I spent $100,000. Somebody else's money, sure. But I spent it just the same. 
Mr. Dollar. I'm certainly surprised at this development. You say Perling's daughter is missing? That's right, Mr. Scottman. And I'm convinced that the detective agency he's had looking for have been doing just that. Eh, well, then, I'm relieved to know you got to the bottom of this matter. I'm sorry, of course, for Mr. and Mrs. Perling. But, as I say, relieved that there, there was no attempt at financial manipulation. I think, then, I can call you off the case. There is no case now. Nope. Guess not. And that's the way it stood at four o'clock in the afternoon. I told Mr. Scottman I'd send him a bill. We shook hands and he wandered off to see if he could get a night flight back to Hartford. I went up to my room to pack and was folding a shirt all wrong when it struck me that I suddenly didn't believe anything or anybody. The idea that there was money in it somewhere still kept coming back to me. I couldn't shake it. I finished packing and left my bags at the desk. I wandered out and found a bar and sat down to think. After a couple of hours, nothing much occurred to me. But I did something anyhow. Oh, hello, Dollar. Hi. My uh, plane doesn't leave till 11 o'clock. I haven't had dinner yet. I hope... I didn't come about dinner, Mr. Scudman. What is it? Well, how does this case strike you? Eh? A phony death report, a missing girl, a stock market manipulation that didn't come off. How does it strike you? Well, very neat, if that's a phrase I can use, Mr. Dollar. We had a question with serious implications to it. We have an answer now. That's what we wanted. But it's too neat. I'm not sure I know quite what you mean. Look, you first called me in because it was halfway in your mind that Perling's alleged death was for the purpose of making money on the market. Now, why did you think that? It was a possibility. But what else? What about Perling? What do you mean? Do you know him? Ever met him? Do you think he was capable of a thing like that? Not now. No. I have proof from you that that wasn't his reason at all. But you thought so before you had that proof. You suspected it. Suppose I did, yes. Well, I didn't know him from a load of coal, but I always figured there's money in it somewhere. And I've met David Perling. He doesn't seem like the kind of man who'd worry about a grown daughter who didn't like him and ran away. Just, just didn't seem that way. Oh. Here now, a detective agency working on the case, a story in the paper. But no police, Mr. Scottman, no bulletins, no 100% effort to find her. Why? I suppose you have a good point. I'm sure I have a good point, Mr. Scottman. Money's always a good point. But what money, how, why, I don't know. I can't answer those questions. I wish I could. If I could, I'd know that a man like Dave Perling was lying through his teeth if he told me he wanted his daughter back safe at home. I'd know why he was lying. I know I'm just talking and getting nowhere right now, but... Well, I thought, I thought I'd better tell you what was on my mind. Yes, well, you've certainly done that. Now what? That's up to you. Oh. Well, if you feel so strongly about this, I think then you should continue. I thought it was ended, but in view of the circumstances, continue. By all means, continue. Well, Dollar... Well, you're working late. Yeah, I'd rather stay here than go home sometimes. Most of the time. Hey, well, we might be seeing quite a bit of each other. How did you know? Hmm? Perling told me to contact you. You're pretty cute, Dollar. Tell me why. You hardly ever run across a picture of a girl you'd like to look at as much as this Perling dame. Oh, I might have. You know, you kid me most of the time, and I'm an old slob who stands around with hardly any fast answers. You aren't kidding me this time, Pally. You show it all over. If I walked in a place and I seen a girl as nice looking as this, and I had any business with her, I'd be the luckiest guy in the world. 
Now, there are women, and there are women. But if that picture means anything, boy, she's a woman. And you want to meet her, right? Sure I want to meet her, but you're getting romantic. And if I saw, but didn't have any business with her, just saw, I'd go take a walk around the block before I talked to anybody. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I don't blame you. You're a very lucky fella. You're going to see her. That's why Perling asked me to contact you. Huh? Here. Came in about an hour ago. One of our men located her. Where? She's in New Orleans. He handed me the wire and I read it over. Then I looked at him, he looked at me. I didn't ask any questions, he didn't say a word. It was a wonderful make-believe world, but it really didn't exist. Too neat and too tidy. And we all know the world's full of bumps. Ever hear of Mount Everest? Johnny Dollar. Dave Perling, Mr. Dollar. I want to talk to you. Hello, Mr. Perling. Mr. Amwell tells me you're in his office looking into my private affairs. If investigating the matter I came here for involves your private affairs, I guess I did that. I should be irritated, I suppose. And I guess I'm not. When can I see you? Most any time. How about today? I'll be at my house all day long. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Eastern Liability and Trust Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Perling matter. <laughs> Item 9, 10 cents, one phone call to Morton Scottman advising him that Jeannie Perling had been located in New Orleans by one of Aimwell's operatives. Mr. Scottman thought that over for a while and then assumed it would be in the best interests of Eastern liability to make certain this was the truth. I told Mr. Scottman I intended to do just that. Item 10, $5, cab fare from the New Western Hotel to the home of David Perling. Hi. Come on in. The man who opened the door wasn't a servant. He wore a dark blue double-breasted suit. He smelled of cigars and bourbon and private detectives stuck out all over him. He jammed a pudgy finger in the general direction of what later turned out to be the library and I followed the room we went into was empty, except for us. As far as I could see or hear, the rest of the house was empty, too. The man in the blue suit sat down on a leather sofa and pointed to a quart of bourbon that had just come out of a sack. You must be this dollar guy, huh? Yeah. Mr. Perling be along in a minute. He asked me to say hello to you. Uh, by the way, my name's Brad Copeland. I'm one of Niles' men. Niles, ain't well? That's great. Where is Niles? Uh, he's with Mr. Perling. I'll be along. Sit down, relax. They said they thought it was about time for a little conference. What for? The girl's been found, hasn't she? Oh, sure, sure. Now they got to figure some other things out. I'll bet. You don't believe much of this, do you? Nope. Well, then I'll put it this way. I'm the guy who found Jeannie Perling. How about it now? Okay. Look, I got put on this thing because an insurance company executive thought Perling might have had a false death report made on him to juggle some things in the stock market. Oh, that story in the papers about Perling dying, huh? Yeah, Perling paid to have that story printed, all right, but not for any stock market angles. He did it to try and scare up this daughter of his who scrammed away from home a year ago. Now, I found that hard to believe. 
Even after I talked to Niall Zamewell and he told me the agency had been hired to find the girl a year ago. I suppose you're one of the men who's been looking. Yeah, that's about it. No luck, either. And yesterday morning comes a phone call. I don't know who it is. Tells me where she's living, what name she's using in New Orleans. I scram down there by plane and check it out. It's all true. So I come back here and here I am. Conference. You found her on a tip from somebody you don't know? Man or woman? Always a man's voice. Wonderful, ain't it, what happens sometimes? How does it look to you? Like a sealed freight car full of nothing. That's the girl down there in you owe, all right. I managed that. I picked up her prints and checked them with what we had to go on. But what's what, I don't know. What's Amo going to do now? That's why the conference. We see what we'll see. Relax. I tried to do that, but I didn't do very well. Copeland settled to his bourbon, and I picked up and laid down a half a dozen magazines, smoked two cigarettes, paced up and down. Finally, I heard a door open somewhere, and Niles Aimwell and David Perling walked in the room. Then Aimwell motioned Copeland to his feet, and both of them left the room without a word. David Perling and I were alone. How much do they pay you, Dollar? Oh, I'm paid well enough. What's that got to do with it? I was just curious, is all. You seem like a competent man. As a matter of fact, the most competent I've met, and that includes Mr. Aimwell and Mr. Copeland. By the way, I, I just fired them. Really? I don't think I need them anymore now that I know where Jeannie is. Oh? You've had an extraordinary interest in my affairs lately. I'm willing to bet that you won't leave me alone until you're satisfied about my daughter. You'd be right. I want Jeannie to come home. Here, where she belongs. Why don't you go get her? I, uh, I think that might be difficult under the circumstances. I'm afraid she bears considerable rancor for myself and Mrs. Perling. Perhaps someone like you could, uh, well, persuade her that it would be the best thing to do. I go down to New Orleans and get her? Exactly. I was going anyway. Oh? Why? Well, offhand, you don't seem like the father who's happy to know that his daughter, whom he hasn't seen or heard from in a year, is alive and well. You haven't made a move to go and pick her up yourself. Also, she was found too soon and too fast after I got in on the picture. <laughs> hey, you can stop right there. I'm sure I wouldn't even attempt to explain any of those things. I didn't think you would. Or could. Hmm? I'm on my way to New Orleans, Mr. Perling, to get your daughter. I think she'd be crazy if she came back here, but I'll take it up with her. Do that. I wonder if you'd like to try to explain something else for me. What? Why you were feeding me out a couple of minutes ago to see if I'd buy off. Get out of here. Get out! Why not? Expense account item 11, $113.15. Airfare, incidentals, New York to New Orleans, Louisiana. The temperature was exactly 28 degrees hotter when I landed. In the cab from the field, I peeled off my coat and loosened my tie and took off my hat. I walked into the lobby of the Roosevelt Hotel that way. Everyone else seemed cool enough in linens and tropicals. Everyone except myself and a big blonde giant of a man leaning against the CNS ticket counter. Boy, take Mr. Dollar to 511. The giant smiled when he saw me and stuck out his hand. Well, 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 I'm certainly glad to see you. We, we thought you'd never get here. Hope you had a pleasant trip. I was okay. I know you're tired and hot and would like to wash up a little and refresh yourself, but the rest of the boys are headquartered in 810. They're mighty anxious to meet you. Mighty anxious. Us Delta cotton growers are going to make it or break it at this convention. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. We sure are, aren't we? Uh, as soon as you're cleaned up, you come right over. We have a drink and I'll show you around the town. 
Yeah, that'll be swell. 810. But I made him play it out for a particular reason. He wanted to know who I was, and he didn't quite know. But then I wanted to know who he was, and I didn't quite know. I wanted to know him because of that 38 strapped under his left arm. It bulged out just enough to make me curious. By 7.30, I'd eaten dinner and found an address on Ursuline Street, the address where Jeannie Perling was living. A mailbox carried that name. It was one of those unpainted apartment houses in the French Quarter, full of heat and low-watt light bulbs. The girl who opened the door was a medium-sized blonde, and she wore a black dress. The girl I was looking for had cold black hair. Yes? How do you do? My name's Johnny Dollar. I came here to see Jeannie Perling. Come in, please. You're a friend of Jean's? In a way. I just came from New York. You know her father, then? Yes. Oh, I'm Janice Floyd, Jean's roommate. This way. Careful, it's a little dark. Sure. Maybe I had the feeling when I saw the black dress. But I knew I had it when Janice Floyd turned and led me through the two large rooms that made the apartment. I thought that was the end of it, but there was one more room. The blonde girl stood to one side so I could see in. The perspiration began to trickle down my face. I knew what was coming. Here she is, Mr. Dollar. She was there, all right. As lovely and as young and beautiful as the picture. There was a candle burning at her head and feet. And she was dead. I don't know how long I stood there in that dark room staring down at her. I think there were other people in there, too. Dark people, heads bowed, hands folded in front of them, all looking at her. How did it happen? Leukemia. You know, didn't you know her very long? No. No, as a, as a matter of fact, Miss Floyd, I, I didn't ever know her. I, I certainly didn't know she was dead when I came here tonight. I, I hardly expected she it. She asked that it be this way. But who are you? I'm an insurance investigator. From her father? Not exactly, no. Oh, yes, I see it now. You aren't the first one who's been here looking for her. There have been others, detectives and lawyers trying to get her to go back. What? If he'd loved her, if they'd loved her for just one unselfish moment, she would still be there. Well, Mr. Dollar, she's where her father can't bother her anymore. You tell him that when you go back to New York. Tell him he can stop hiring lawyers and detectives to find her. Now get out. Expense account item 13, $5, the usual charge in any city for having a legal document copied and photostatted. A death certificate verifying the fact that the girl had died on the 20th day of the month. A medical report attached to the certificate named the cause of death as leukemia. I had copies of all these legal documents by 10 o'clock the following morning. I even went through the motions of phoning the desk and asking for a bill and making a plane reservation for that night. I had a feeling someone would be very interested to see me take care of all those things, and I was right. The big blonde man with the 38 happened to be in one corner of the lobby when I paid my bill. He also happened to be at the airport when I picked up my ticket, but then he got careless. 
I walked through the gate, waited two minutes, and slipped back to grab a cab in front, just in time to see him wheel a battered convertible out of the parking lot and head back for town. I followed in my cab. He went to the Ursuline Street address. Two minutes later, he came out. Expense account, item 14, $8. I let my cab go and strolled up to him just as he was getting in his car. Hiya. Uh, what? Look, we've been playing games long enough, don't you think? Well? Why don't you go back to New York and do what you have to do? Deliver this death certificate? I don't believe it. You saw her dead, didn't you? Still don't believe it. That's too bad, because that's the way it is. He got in his car, started it up, drove away. I stood there and watched him go. Money, I kept saying to myself. Money. There's money in it somewhere. Plain old money. Johnny Dollar. This is Janice Floyd, Mr. Dollar. Hello. I understand you don't quite believe that Jeannie Perling is dead. That's about right. I'm really not concerned one way or the other what you believe or disbelieve. I do know that I've been through quite an ordeal lately. And if you have any plans for interfering or bothering me in any way, I'll call the police. All right. I hope you understand that. I do. Well, then, goodbye. Goodbye. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Eastern Liability and Trust Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Perling matter. I wrote to Morton Scottman at Eastern Liability and I explained the circumstances under which I had arrived in New Orleans and located Jeannie Perling. I enclosed her death certificate and the medical statement. I also reported on the conduct of her ex-roommate, Janice Floyd. Then I sat down and called Janice on the phone. Hello? This is Johnny Dollar, Miss Floyd. Yes, I think what? it's time we had a talk. Mr. Dollar, we have nothing to discuss. I think we have. What? How you're being taken. Taken? By whom? By a couple of people. Goodbye, Look, Mr. Look, don't hang up on me, Miss Floyd. I came down here to find Jean Perling. I'm with an insurance company. It was my job to check on a story her father told. Finding her was part of it. Let me come over and talk to you. I'll be home tonight. The apartment was six blocks from the hotel. I walked it for a reason. All kinds of people have followed me at one time or another, and I've followed all kinds of people. But the man who followed me off and on in New Orleans, the big blonde man with a 38, knew what he was doing. He was a professional. I made up my mind about that the first time I saw him, and I thought I was ready for him, but I wasn't. He waited until the streetlights got dim and no one was in sight. Oh! I vaguely remember that he caught me under the arms and laid me gently down on the street. That was all. Easy, buddy, easy. You've been making too much whoopee. Oh. You folks visiting down here ought to be more careful. Oh. Get your suit all dirty. I wouldn't have found you, but my cab conked out right here. Oh, my head, the side of my head. Uh, you must have fallen hard. You had enough for tonight, or you want to keep going? Oh, I've had plenty. Yes, sir. I'll call a doctor. No, no. Help me. I'll be all right. You're up. Easy now. Easy. Thanks. What time is it? Uh, 
Uh, almost midnight. Two hours. Where you want to go? Ursuline Street. Gideon, Gideon! Expense account item 16, $10, to one good Samaritan cab driver who picked me up and dropped me at Janice Floyd's apartment. I was still weaving on my feet when I tapped on the door. Mr. Dollar, you've been hurt. Come in. I'm all right. Packing? Yes, I've decided to leave town. Tonight, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I thought it'd be something like that. Did a big fella, a blonde man, have anything to do with your decision to leave? That's none of your business. Let me tell you my business, Miss Floyd. I came down here to see Jean Perling. You saw her. She is dead. Yes, I saw her. Dead. Yesterday, I mailed a copy of her death certificate to New York. Well, then what else? What other business? The man who came here yesterday and reported to you. The man who told you I'd left town and you could breathe easier again. The same man who called you later and told you I was still around, still asking questions. He's my business. He followed me on my way here tonight. He slugged me. I don't believe you're telling me the truth. What's his name? Any idea why he carries a gun? Carries a gun? You're making all this up. Why would I? I've got what I came for, or practically what I came for, legal proof of the whereabouts of one Jean Perling. If Al hit you, he was trying to protect me. Now listen to me. I think I have pretty much of it in hand. Now you tell me if I'm wrong. First off, you're not any Janice Floyd. I'd guess that Janice Floyd was the girl who died of leukemia. I've got her picture in my wallet. It was given to me by David Perling, who said it was his daughter. This is all crazy. Before you go into that, listen. I can have that body exhumed. I don't want to do it, but I will if I have to. Now, do you want me to do that? All right. I'm Jean Perling. And that was the Floyd girl who died? Yes. She was sick, and... Well, I knew my father had detectives looking for me. I just never wanted to see him again or go home again. It seemed if if poor Janice were dying and she had no one, if she somehow had my name, and, well, I'd never be bothered with my family again. That was a pretty idea. Was it yours? Al and I thought of it. Al? Al Britt. The blonde guy. Okay, how'd he work it? He saw to it that Janice had my name. I know it was against the law, but it... Well, she had no one, and if she was buried with my name, then I'd be free of my family. Well, that took some managing. They hate me. They always have. I want my own life. I don't blame you. You're entitled to it. Are you sure that's what you're getting? I'm going to marry Al, no matter what. If you go back and tell them, well, that'll be that. If you let me stay dead, I... Can't let that happen. Why not? Why not, Mr. Dollar? What harm would it do? Let your father make a fool out of you? I don't understand. You're worth $100,000. What? Cold, hard cash. An irrevocable trust was set up on you when you were born. Comes to you when you're 25. That'll be next month. I don't care about the money. Now, wait a minute. In the event you should die before your 25th birthday, the money would revert to your nearest of kin. My father? Your father. But I'm dead on paper. Uh-huh. Then, Al. Al. Somebody paid him. Probably your father. To make love to you. Get out of here, Dollar. Al, wait. I told you this man meant nothing but trouble. He knows all about it. Oh, he can't prove a thing. Get out of here, you. Take it easy, Bruce. Al, Al. Yes, honey. I know about you. Honey, I... I don't know what to say. Go. Just go, please. He went. He looked at both of us as he went out the door. It was sort of a whip look. 
The way a puppy stares at you when you've caught him chewing on a slipper. I sat a while with Jean Perling. She didn't say much. There wasn't much she could say. I told her I didn't think there was any reason for her to go back to New York unless she wanted to. She said she didn't want to go, didn't know what to do at the moment, and, well, we left it at that. I went back to my hotel and tried to get some sleep. About six o'clock in the morning, I got up, bathed, shaved, and packed. By 7.30, I had breakfast and was just about to check out. Hello? Hello, Britt. Leaving? That's right. I'd like to talk first. Sure. Okay. You messed it up fine for her and me. I tried to call her this morning and she hung up on me. Went over there, she wouldn't let me in. I don't blame her, do you? I guess I don't. I've decided to leave town. Yeah, maybe that's better. I don't know whether it is or not. You make it hard for a guy to talk. All right, now look at it my way. This whole thing's been rotten. I met her father and I know what kind he is. I know what he's done to her, what he'll do to her if she goes back... And then there's you, Britt, the hired man. You went in and made love to her for a salary. I didn't like it having to tell her that, and it must hurt. It must hurt pretty bad. So you see, I'm not too interested in what you might have to say or what you're going to do. Wait. You're right reading me out this way. I deserve it. The old man found out where she was four months ago. I found out for him. I knew the girl she was living with had leukemia. I... Planned the whole switch. I put it to her the way she explained it, about being dead to keep away from her old man. Of course, you didn't mention that hundred thousand he could get his hands on once she was dead. No, I didn't. But, but something funny happened to me, Dollar. I mean, oh, I've done my share of dirty jobs. I've seen a lot of the human race. Taking a salary to make a sucker out of her didn't bother me at all. Not at first. And then... I found out when she touched my face, I... I lived for that touch. And when I held her, she lived for me. I never thought it had happened to me, but... It did. If you see her again, Dollar, tell her I was trying to stop it. I mean, all this part. But it was too late. (laughs) Funny how things turn out, huh? Yeah. Funny. Expense account item 17, $42.13, hotel and board bill. Item 18, $101 even, airplane ticket back to Hartford. Item 19, $1, cab fare. I stopped by her apartment on my way to the airport. Oh, I thought you'd left, Mr. Dollar. Well, came to say goodbye. How's it going today? All right. I have some brand new... No, no thanks. Jean... Yes? You going to New York? No, I'll stay here a while. I don't want to see my father or mother. How about Al Britt? He wants to see you. Let's not talk about him, shall we? Do you think I'm a nice girl? Do you think my $100,000 will attract a lot of nice, eligible young men to me? Do you think I... Oh, stop it. You'll burn your brakes. Johnny. Oh, no. Here. I know what he did. I know why he did it. But I love him. He did his job too well. Yeah. He could tell you what he started out to do and what happened to him with you. He could tell you if you let him. He told you? Yeah. 
What kind of a trick is it? No trick. Couldn't be. The guy's too mixed up. Tell you what, he'll try again. When he calls up next time, talk to him. Why should I? Because you may not have a mother and father or anyone else, but you do have him. And you will have him as long as he lives, if you want him. And that's what you've been looking for all your life. Someone to have. I'd take him if I were you. Item 20, $10, miscellaneous. Total expense account, $714.35. Remarks, none. Report, she took him. They were married in Tampa this morning. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's intriguing story. Next week... A lonely girl, a fine young man, a gentle father, and one of them is a killer. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Mary Jane Croft, Forrest Lewis, Jeanette Nolan, Russell Thorson, Michael Ann Barrett, Jack Petruzzi, Barbara Fuller, Herbert Ellis, and Marvin Miller. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino and Carl Fortina. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. Welcome back. I appreciated uh, the time that they dedicated to considering whether to continue the investigation. I talked about it on Tuesday in terms of, is there actually an insurance interest here? 
And it was nice for them to treat that with some seriousness and to answer that question. And of course, the conversation speaks to the type of investigator that Johnny is and how much intuition is key to how he works and how respected he is within the industry that that was accepted in the investigation uh, continued. Now, this serial is almost perfect because you've got some great supporting characters. They're all really interesting to spend time with. Uh, there's some really good plot twists. And I think a really interesting ending. But there's one problem. Johnny was called in to investigate why Perling faked his death, and we don't actually have a good answer. He didn't do it for stock market manipulation. He also didn't do it to get the attention of their daughter, given that his plan to get her declared dead had been in place for four months. Maybe Mrs. Perling didn't know what he was doing in Louisiana, and the plan was her idea, and he didn't want to tell Mrs. Perling about what his real plan was. Though, the problem with that is that, from what uh, the daughter said, she didn't actually have a good relationship with Mrs. Perling either. Plus, setting a boat on fire might not have cost $100,000 in 1956 money, but it would be a really expensive ruse. And you think a guy like him would want to avoid torching a boat and several thousand dollars he couldn't file an insurance claim on and would try to talk his uh, wife out of it. So other than that, it was a great story. Uh, now, this is another E. Jack Newman script where the plot of the episode was imported, but instead of being mixed with another story, as you saw in a, a case like the Broderick matter, uh, you just had an insurance angle added on. This one also had a big shift in tone for the ending. Uh, this was based on a 1948 Jeff Regan story with Jack Webb, the prodigal daughter. The Jeff Regan story had a much more gritty, earthier tone to the New Orleans scenes, and the big ending is the daughter reclaiming her trust and foiling her father's scheme. The dollar episode reflects a different sensibility. Money, or even revenge on a hypocritical father, might be fun for an audience, but it's pretty unsatisfying for a real human being whose reason for leaving home wasn't that she wasn't getting the money she wanted, but because she didn't feel loved. Being truly loved and finding the strength to give someone a second chance were far more important and valuable. Of course, it speaks to the type of person Johnny is that he made what was a totally unnecessary, from a business perspective anyway, trip to encourage her to talk to Al. And I think it's a well-acted and endearing ending. Listener comments and feedback. And over on Spotify, John C.G. writes of the Calicles matter. Very good. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate you taking the time to leave a comment on Spotify. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporters of the day, being the first Friday in November, we are recognizing uh, Patreon supporters who have been supporting the podcast for five years this month. 
And I want to thank Carrie and Javon supporting the podcast at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. And Christine and Leslie supporting the podcast at the Seamus level of $4 uh, per month. And they've all been uh, Patreon supporters since November of 2018. Uh, Thank you so much for supporting the podcast for the past five years. I really appreciate it. And that will actually do it for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. All those great things that help the channel to grow. We will be back next Tuesday to start another Yours Truly Johnny Dollar serial. But join us back here tomorrow for Dragnet, where... What do you think of our two atom bombs? They're fine kids, Miss Decker. Hank told me that you were worried about him wanting to join the force. I was 12 years old when my father was shot down. He was a policeman in Des Moines. He was only 37 when he died. I wouldn't know what to do if anything like that happened to Hank. What do you want me to say? But does Hank really want it? Can't you talk him out of it? You're his wife. Can you? No, I think it's his choice, Miss Decker. He's going to have to make up his own mind. I'm sorry. If it's what Hank wants, I guess I worry too much. A lot of women marry cops. They have, and they will, and they all worry. Hank will be all right. Will you guarantee it, Joe? I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.